Day number two, we survived two days here at uh, Canine Cop Magazine Conference, and uh, <laughs> rough night, I have to admit. How about you? Yeah, it was great. We saw a lot of great bands. We yes. walked uh, Broadway Street. That yep. was a good time. We were surrounded by good friends, good food, good drink. Yeah, it was a good time. It always really is time. a good time to, to be here and to hang out with uh, all the canine handlers and all the dog people. We, this, is, this, is our, this is like being home, isn't it? It really was. And today, we've got uh, not only an amazing man, an amazing friend, uh, uh, an amazing attorney, and dog extraordinaire as well. We're here uh, today with a good buddy of mine, John, John Peters. And let me tell you, John, it's, um, I, every time we get together and talk, I learn something new from you. And I want to share this with our audience, all of your knowledge um, in the dog world, as far as from training to liability. I mean, you really have a good handle on the dog world. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, and your background. Well, Brett, it's always great to see you and Leslie. Love seeing both of you. We always have a good time. We always learn a lot. Awesome. Um, as far as my background, yeah, you know that I've been practicing law. I've been an attorney uh, practicing in primarily civil litigation, a lot of it involving um, police-related litigation and constitutional law matters for about uh, now 39 years. Wow. Wow, it hurts to say that. It hurts. <laughs> we, wouldn't, we couldn't tell. I, I, I'll tell you that right now. And then, uh, you know, coupled with that, I've been actively involved with uh, three different dogs over probably the last 15 years. So um, that brings my dog knowledge. My dogs teach me, and then I try to teach handlers. So. <laughs> That's it, yes, and a great job you do. Um, tell us over your experience. Let's start off with um, pets. So we're going to get into a little bit about uh, some liability, some of the problems that you see that, that pet owners have that make them in trouble in, with the courts, with the law. And also take that into for our canine handlers as well. Let's talk about some of the issues that you see uh, on that side too and maybe some of the parallels. So what's the, what's the biggest thing that you can tell pet owners that, that you see that get them in trouble? Well, the biggest problem I see with pet owners, and uh, I see it all the time, unfortunately, is they take on a dog and they assume that the dog comes pre-assembled, I'll call it. <laughs> right. They don't think that they need to pour time into that dog on a regular basis. And as you know, Brett, I don't need to tell you, but the biggest problem with people handling their dogs is being consistent with the dog. Yep. No means no today. It means no tomorrow. It right. means no the next right. day, right? Right. And uh, I'll see people in the neighborhood sometimes on these 20-foot cloth pink leads trying <laughs> to control their dog on a cloth collar. And you try to stop and give them some helpful advice. Well, but the dog just really doesn't like that, you know? And I'm like, okay, so the dog's driving the relationship. Right. And that's where I think most people get in trouble. They don't, they want to be their dog's friend. They want their dog to like them. And they don't realize the responsibility of controlling their dog, teaching their dog, and that they have to be the leader. So consequently, the dog dictates, dictates the relationship. And when that happens, you usually end up in trouble. So bottom line, right, and this is what we, this is what we preached on this show from day one, got to have obedience. You've got to have a controlled dog. You have to have a good, well-behaved, well-mannered dog. And without doing that, you're going to open yourself up for some liability. Now, uh, talk a little bit about that. Um, so you don't have an obedient dog and your dog is pulling you around and maybe even aggressive, perhaps. I mean, is right. that, do you see a lot of that? Where, where are they getting in trouble with 
the lack of obedience in their dogs. Yeah, you do. Like, uh, I, I'm going to be honest. One of the concepts that I'm completely baffled by is the dog park. <laughs> and people will ask me, they say, do you ever take your dog to the dog park? And I said, no, I never take my dog to the dog yep. park. Yep. Agreed. And they said, well, why? And my dog, I always take my dog. And I said, because there's too many things that can go wrong at the dog park that elements that you don't control. And they'll tell me how good their dog is. And I said, well, maybe your dog is a good dog, but you don't know every other dog at the dog exactly. park. Exactly. Well, I didn't think of that. So, yeah, I mean, control is definitely, to reduce it to one word, it's about control. And you okay. have to have control of your dog. Civilians and pet owners get into trouble in just very, what look like very harmless situations normally because their dog reacts, he's triggered by something, somebody gets hurt or another dog gets hurt, and they're shocked. They're like, I, I don't know why he did that. Well, we know why it happened because they're not paying attention to their dog. Yep. You know, and they're not teaching the dog what the dog needs to learn. It's no different than raising a child. You have to teach them. They sure. don't know. Sure, sure. So with and you have to watch them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keep a close eye. I was in the store the other day, and this guy's looking at stuff on the shelf, and he's got his dog on like a 15-foot lead. The dog's wandering all a pet store sure. with other dogs around, right. you know. And then, oh, I'm sorry. They, by the time it happens, it's too late, right? right? We yep. all know that. Yep. So, yeah, you got to be proactive. You have to teach the dog do's and don'ts. And as Leslie pointed out, you have to maintain observation of your dog and control of your dog. And that's no different in police work. Sure. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. Handlers get into trouble by letting the dog make decisions for themselves, in my view, and not exercising the level of control that avoids these, they may be rare events, yeah. but they only have to happen one, one time. time. Yep. Yep. So uh, I, I would say that that's a common denominator between pet owners and police dog handlers, is the lack of control. And lack of control to me really comes from a reluctance to train right they don't want to put in the time it's inconvenient it's you know well i don't really want to do that today i want to go and play golf or whatever once you take on that dog to me you take on a responsibility and if you don't see the responsibility through that's when bad things happen whether it's in law enforcement or it's in civilian world so. yeah. and that that's what um one of the things that we've talked about in previous shows is it really doesn't take that much time. I mean, again, you're, you're three dogs now, and I know you've, you've titled a dog yes. uh, to a BH, which for our audience is a, a, a high-level uh, obedience um, routine, basically, is what it is, judged by uh, somebody else. And you, you know, to get to that level, that takes a lot of time. But to have just control, your average pet, it's minutes a day, don't you agree? I mean, it's really not that much time when you take on such a huge responsibility of being a pet owner. No, I would say, and, and I'm certainly not an expert on dog training. My dogs will all tell you that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's, I think it's not a large time commitment in the sense of a long learning curve. It's just simple, consistent steps and doing it daily and doing it all the time. Like I said, and being consistent, as you point out it. It's not a huge time commitment. It's just a regular thing that you have to get used to. It has yep. to basically be second nature to you is right. what I, I would put right. it. So. Yeah. Just get into that habit both for you and that creates a habit in the dog. And then you've got a well-behaved uh, pet. Yeah. yeah and, and sometimes with both uh, law enforcement and with civilian, the, the pitfall of not being consistent to me is you create conflict in the dog and confusion. 
He's like, well, I, I, you let me do this yesterday. Why can't I do it now? Yep. Then there's rebellion or they act out or, sure. again, sure. sometimes like kids. So. Let's go um, into the police world a little bit here. Sure. Let's talk to the handlers. Um, Liability-wise, what are some of the biggest cases now that you've seen that are somewhat consistent to where uh, a handler doesn't have the good control, or are you seeing more of the litigation come in from uh, the acts that they're doing with narcotics or patrol? Or what, what's what's getting us as handlers most uh, most of the trouble? Oh, I would say that a lot of the civil litigation, and I try to teach this in the class, is in the use of force with the dog. Okay. But in the use of force deployment, it's not the actual deployment. It's the inability, again, back to control, to get the dog to release the suspect or to out from the suspect. You see most litigation based not on the initial deployment and use of force, but the fact that the handler can't control the dog once he's engaged and the dog's doing a tremendous amount of damage. And, and the individual say, I heard, heard him yelling for the dog to to disengage, but the dog wouldn't do it. Right. So here we are back to control again. In the end, it always comes back to control. Sure. Always comes sure. back to it. Or another example is, uh, you know, a handler recalls his dog and the dog does out, but instead of recalling to the handler, he sees a squirrel and he decides he's going to run out in the street, chase a <laughs> squirrel, and he right. gets hit by a car. Or, you know, there's any number of problems. Nothing good comes from lack of control That's with the dog. Yes. Yep. And we just did an episode a few episodes ago, and we talked about the out, how important it is to out. And um, I just talked to a young handler uh, in the uh, Denver area, and he told me, and I couldn't believe he said this, he said, well, I mean, really, why do you need an out? You're going to end up lifting the dog off anyway. And I said, no, it's all about control. If you can't, if your police dog can't let go of a suspect, you don't have control. That's a very big problem to have. And I see that as well industry-wide that guys are just not having as much control as they should. And I don't want to see anybody get in trouble. I hate to see anybody get in trouble and especially get hurt. So that's a huge, huge point that we try to make to you handlers out there. Control is everything. And that's not just me now. You're hearing it from an actual expert here with John. So Think about where your dog is at. Think about the level of control, and we can always make it better. Don't you agree? Oh, there's no question. And the, the point you raised about the uh, physical removal of the dog, sometimes I get that question. Is it better for me to physically remove the dog? As far as the courts are concerned, the, the focus for handlers to me is always how the court's going to deal with it. Yes. I said, look, you know, the courts want you to have control of the dog. And ideally to me, and I'm certainly not a tactical expert, you're the tactical expert, <laughs> but maybe you might agree with me on this. If you have to go up and physically remove the dog every time, you're eliminating the tactical advantage you have by creating distance with the use of the dog and the suspect, because now you have to close that distance and be right on top of the person Absolutely. that you didn't want to be on top of, yep. right? Yep. And it may not be tactically safe to do it. Yes. Correct? Yep. And, and yes, you're hitting the nail on the head, exactly. Um, tactically, that's the best way to do it. Now, sometimes have I lifted my dog off for safety reasons, for a, a variety of things? Yeah, absolutely. But you still need to have the capability of doing that. Uh, the example I gave on our uh, out podcast was uh, had a suspect in an attic. I could physically not physically get to the suspect in the dog. I had to verbally out him, down him, and had the suspect crawl to me. If I didn't have that capability, how long is that dog on the, on the bite? Because right. I couldn't physically get to my dog. So, yep, we all have to have that capability. And, and it's good, once again, to hear it from you. How, the, how, how are the courts going to look at that? I mean, it's excessive force, right? A, a duration of bite? 
Yeah, they, they look more, as I said, at the duration of the bite and how long the dog's engaged than the initial deployment they apprehend by force. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of focus on the warnings, too. The courts look close at that. Did you give sure. the suspect an opportunity for peaceful surrender before you engage the dog? But uh, back to the physical removal, I always tell handlers, if you don't have verbal control of the dog, then from the court's view, better that you physically remove him right rather than prolong the engagement and the damage being done after the suspect no longer represents a threat but the default and the ideal is as you pointed out to have verbal control for a number of reasons that we just discussed so sure, sure. let's uh, move on to detection let's move on to uh, narcotics uh what are you seeing today the industry especially if you can touch on uh being from colorado and our our weed problem, if you will, and that's what I see it as. It's definitely a problem. Um, wh- where is that changing the way these guys are doing business now with marijuana? Well, you probably mentioned the foremost issue that's rocking the dog world right now that I see legally, and that is, in my view, an undue panic on the part of administrators to ice, uh, for lack of a better term, dogs that are imprinted on marijuana, mm-hmm. narcotics detection dogs, in states where it's become legal in one form or another, either medical, personal use, or otherwise. I, I always ask these administrators, why? Why are you doing that? Is there a case that says that you can't do it? Well, now Colorado has, has a yep. case, yep. right? But only Colorado has sure. that case. In Boy, fact, we're proud of that. Well, in that case, which was just decided this May, the court itself split 5-4, and even the five-justice majority said, if this decision puts us on a, alone on a jurisprudential island, then that's because that's where the people of Colorado put us. So it's almost <laughs> like they were apologizing for their own decision. Right, right. I mean, that's how weak yeah. the decision was, okay. in my view. Okay. And I tell administrators, there is no, could there a case come down in your state that says the dog can no longer be used in this application or the use doesn't constitute probable cause? It could. Sure. But that might be three, four years down the road. Okay. And that dog might be rotated out of service by that time anyway. Why the jump to get rid of these dogs? I don't understand it. Okay, that, and that's been my thought process as well. Um, I, I hate to say, uh, wait till it happens, then worry about it. But in this type of a case, I, I think we kind of have to, right? Well, I mean, we're not a, just gonna get rid of a bunch of phenomenal dogs and right. start all over when no one's telling us we have to yet. Not only that, but I also argue to the administrators, look, Police officers have a duty to make sure that the law is enforced. And that includes, in many cases, regulatory law. So where marijuana has been legalized, it's no different than any other regulated item, state-regulated item. It's no different than a firearm. It's no different than prescription medication. Sure, yeah. It's regulated. Your conditions for possessing or using it are defined. Right. You don't have wide-open rights with respect to it. So uh, the police should have the right to go forward and investigate to make sure that the person's in compliance with the restrictions of the regulation. Sure. That's the normal part of law enforcement. And these, as it grows from state to state, um, is there any, anything that you would advise guys to do? So for example, next dog, right? The dogs that are out there now is what it is. So if you were um, in charge of Department X with their canine unit, are you going to teach, are you going to train those dogs to hit on marijuana the, the next go around? That's really an individual agency by agency decision. I, I think 
my position is that those dogs will always have a purpose because take my state for example state of michigan i will always get administrators telling me well john marijuana is legal now and i tell them no it's not legal there's two little carve outs in the general law that makes it illegal medical and personal use both of which are highly regulated there's a ton of regulation around them okay outside if you're outside of those you're back into the general law which is it's illegal right okay so there's still going to be many instances in which possessing using selling uh transporting are going to be illegal right it's not like there's no longer going to be any application under which marijuana is going to be illegal there are going to be plenty of instances where it's illegal sure so the dogs would still have a purpose in my view agencies i think are making decisions they're trying to get out ahead of themselves i think right and and they have to decide if that's appropriate for them or not i mean it's really an agency by agency decision so last thing tell me pet peeves right i know we've talked about this a lot (laughs) and what are you seeing pets police dog give, give us your biggest pet peeve is, is that a play on words? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think you and I have talked about it before, but I think one of my biggest pet peeves is the use of the tennis ball. <laughs> and I love and it. And the I reason, I mean, there are very practical reasons for it. One of which, I know uh, a friend who lost a very good working dog because he was using a tennis ball without a tether attached, and the dog on the retrieve hit the ball in midair so hard it lodged back in the back of its throat. Yeah. And because of the saliva and the ball becoming slimy, they could not get the ball out of the dog's throat, and the dog suffocated. Oh, that's oh. horrible. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the other thing about tennis balls, both with pet owners and regular uh, and working dogs especially, the dogs are strong enough, you and I know, they can break that ball up pretty easily into chunks. Those can get lodged in an airway. And the other reason is the nap of the tennis ball, it gets wet, it rolls on dirt or on ground where there's dirt, and it essentially turns into sandpaper. <laughs> and as the dog's chewing on it, he's, he's sanding the enamel right off his teeth. I never thought you know? of that, sure. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, so, I, there you go, you guys out there using tennis balls, and we, we know a couple of them. I won't give any <laughs> names, but uh, it's always been one of my pet peeves, too, because I hear about it all the time, getting lodged or swallowing or breaking it down and have to go in, and that's an expensive surgery. Oh, yeah. So we've, we've been down that road. So, um, John, again, cannot thank you enough, sir, your expertise, and for mostly what you do for us in the industry. If I knock on wood, better never get jammed up, but if I do, you're on my speed dial, brother. And I never worry about hearing from Brett on that. <laughs> it's always great to see you, John. You too, Leslie. Well, want to real quick thank some of our sponsors. Of course, we're here at Canine uh, Cop Magazine uh, at their conference here in Nashville. Uh, an amazing event. These guys do such a good job. Also, uh, throwing out uh, some props for Police Canine Magazine as well. Canine BSD, the behavioral shaping device, and Elite Canine, EliteCanine.com. Make sure you go there for all your dog equipment. Uh, some of the best stuff that's made out there. And last, but of course not least, our good friends at uh, Battleborn Canine. Uh, Mel uh, does a heck of a job with training, finding dogs, and, and making sure that uh, they're staying ethical, keeping our industry clean. So thanks for listening in, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for tuning in to Dog Disruption, your source for better dog training, obedience, systems, techniques, equipment, and stories. Hosted by Brett and Leslie Titus, SWAT and Police Canine Handlers. 
be sure to subscribe to the Dog Disruption Podcast wherever you get your podcast, and of course, leave a review. Also, don't forget to follow Dog Disruption on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also find us at dogdisruption.com. And as always, be a good dog.